When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Author Sherry Jones has stopped in to share her message of encouragement with us because she knows firsthand what it's like to make decisions from a place of low self-esteem and lack of identity. Boy, can I relate to that. Learning that she was adopted and a deeply cutting remark from her mother left her feeling, whether true or not, that she was not the one her mother would have chosen. As she started college, she, like so many of us, came to this place of putting what we've learned about God to the test. She's transparent about her struggle to cling to her relationship with God, wanting to be accepted and worthy of her peers, not feeling as if she had a voice, and then having to face the reality of rape. Life has a way of handing us some difficult things to overcome. It's easy to become isolated in the guilt and shame. Would God just leave her there? Did she deserve what happened to her? Could God even care about her now? Or is the God of the Holy Bible the God who enters into our pain with us, shows us the beauty of who we are despite our humanness? Is he the one who will not let anything separate us from him? In Sherry's devotional book, Speak Life Moments, A Transformational Journey, she shares 21 personal stories of what it looks like to learn how to speak life into your circumstance. She has learned the transformational truth of Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. She knows that speaking life is very important to your mental, spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being. Sherry is also the leader of the Glory Carriers Women's Network, whose goal is to uplift, support, and encourage Christian women to glorify God through their gifts, talents, businesses, and ministries. I've been a guest on her podcast, We Are the Church, and I shared my story of who God is in my personal pain and suffering. Just recently, she renamed her podcast to Sherry Speaks Life. I think that's the perfect podcast name because her motto is, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Choose life. Check her out at Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-Y, Speaks Life. One word, SherrySpeaksLife.com. Let's listen in to find out how Sherry tested God's word in Proverbs 18.21, what she discovered about him, and ultimately herself in the process. Today's guest is Sherry Jones, and we are like twins, I think, because both of our names being the same, and then we have sons that have the same name. What's the chances of that, right? So welcome, Sherry. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here to share your heart today. I appreciate you. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm so excited to be here today. I um, appreciate the invite. Thank you so much. Well, you've got some beauty to share. Well, beauty amidst the pain. And I believe that is really a great example of life today. You've got some wisdom of experience to share. So I'm excited about that myself. Let's start out with a little bit of background because we're going to move through some situations that have caused low self-esteem and painful moments in your life. And so we're going to look at these moments and then look at what does God have to say about these things? So give me a little bit about your childhood. At first, I was the only child. I was raised by older parents. So my parents were in their 40s. So, you know, people were like, those are your grandparents. I'm like, no, those are (laughs) 
<laughs> Those are my parents. Those are my parents. But my mother was an educator before she had to retire due to her vision problems. Mm-hmm. So she really put a lot of focus on education and making sure that I did well in school and I was in advanced gifted classes because she mm-hmm. kind of pushed me and gave me that advantage. But then when I was um, 11, my parents were getting a divorce. And so this was difficult for me. I was a daddy's girl. So maneuvering that and understanding that my father was no longer going to be in the household. But one thing about it is my parents remained friends, very good friends until. Yes, yes. My dad was there um, and assisted with my mom until her death. And then he passed Mm -hmm. about three years later. But they were always close. When I was 11, my mother felt that there was a need for her to tell me the secret, I guess, that they had been keeping from me because she didn't want me to find out the wrong way through the divorce. I remember it like it was yesterday. She and I walked to the store downtown. It's a very small town. And we were just, you know, talking. And she was like, Sherry, I need to tell you something. You're adopted. At first, I thought she was playing. I started laughing. I was like, well, what you talking about? And she was like, no, you know, you're adopted. We got you when you were a baby. And just wanted you to know. And so that kind of flipped my world upside down. I felt that everything that I knew up to that point was a lie. My parents weren't my parents. My cousins weren't my cousins. All of this stuff was going on in my mind. And so I didn't really know how to process. But, you know, what you do, you just keep going. So I just kept, you know, pushing on. And then later on, there would be times when my mother and I, you know, just typical mother-daughter kind of strife, not seeing eye to eye. And I remember one day we were talking and we got into it and she said, that's why I wish we would have got a boy. She was like, your dad wanted a girl. And I was like, oh, okay then. So then that really solidified for me even more being a daddy's girl because I felt like my dad wanted me and she didn't. She was basically saying boys mind better, boys listen. I don't know where she got that from because mine. I raised two. I don't know where she thought that came from, but mine don't listen. But 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 that was her perception, you know. And so she was like, I was not listening to her, and if she would have had a boy, um, the boy would have listened better. Mm-hmm. And so that really did a number on my self-esteem. And then I was already, you know, awkward child because I was in gifted classes and so, you know, nerdy. Mm-hmm. My mom kept us very sheltered, so we only went to school and church, basically. Mm-hmm. No extracurricular activities, anything like that. So being a sheltered child and then feeling like you're not wanted, and then because she was an educator, all of the emphasis was on school, so I felt my way of getting her love and getting her validation was through doing well in school. I did the best I could. I've always made A's and B's. I remember one time I brought a C home and you would have thought it was an F. And I was even, I was devastated even more than she, you know, she okay. was. I was like, oh, no, I'm supposed to make A's and B's. And that's kind of where I found my validation was in doing well in school and showing that I was intelligent mm-hmm. because I didn't feel pretty. I was teased a lot in school. They mm-hmm. called me grandma, all kind of things because right. I just moved a little slower. I operated a little different than the other kids. And then being a darker skinned African-American didn't help back in those days because Mm -hmm. I was teased because I was darker skinned and Mm -hmm. things like that. It was a lot. My mom in the wintertime, it's funny now, 
<laughs> but then it was like she wouldn't let us wear jeans. She thought you can't wear jeans in the wintertime because that's not warm enough. So we had to wear corduroy pants and sweaters. And so that was another source. So it was just a constant, <laughs> it was just a constant something. Um, and then when I say we, I, I forgot to mention when I was 10, my cousin came to live with us. And so we were basically raised as sisters from that point. Her mom passed. It was my mother's oldest brother child. Mm-hmm. So she took her in and we became sisters. We were both raised that same way, very strict, very old school. But in hindsight, I can say that it was a benefit to me being raised that way because she did keep us in church and came to know the Lord Mm -hmm. through that. I came to learn about God through that. So having that foundation of church was definitely a benefit of that. And having that foundation with the emphasis on education was definitely a good thing as well. But all the other stuff around it. Having that faith foundation really does give you this home base to do life from and have a framework to really question anything that happens along the way, bad, good, trying to discover who God is. And I know that childhood is difficult as far as you're teasing you about stuff. And I think about the social media today, you look younger than I am, but we didn't have that burden. We didn't have that pressure. When you left school, you hung out with the kids in the neighborhood. And so you were separated from the bullies at school. You might've had some in the neighborhood, but you also had your friends. And my mom was very tough like that. So that combination really does put a whammy on your self-esteem and how you view yourself. And therefore it creates a lens with which we look at life through. We decide what we're worthy of, what we deserve, who we deserve. How did that set you up when you get ready to move out into life? Did you feel ready? I thought I was ready, but I really wasn't ready. I think my perspective is I just wanted to break free. I felt that I was being stifled at home. I Mm -hmm. felt like almost like a prisoner. Uh, I remember writing this poem. It, It was funny now, but when I was in high school, I wrote the poem. It was called It. And I said, it tells me how to dress. It tells me what to do. It tells me this. It tells me that. And of course, it was my mom. Right. And so when I went to college, I felt like, oh, wow, I'm fancy free and I can do what I want to do. And I had no clue. I had no clue what life really was about. Mm -hmm. I had no clue really about who I was. I just felt that I needed to get out of the grips of someone else controlling me so that I could kind of find my own kind of back like um, Janet Jackson when she wrote that song control (laughs) you know she felt like she was under control and now she was free and so that's kind of how I felt when I went to college but I did have that foundation of faith so when I went to college I professed the Lord I said these are some things that I want to do I had in my mind, I'm going to save my stuff until I get married, and then I'm going to have 2.5 kids and the picket fence and, you know, all that American dream. Life does not necessarily work like that. No. no. (laughs) Um, And so when, and then when I went to college, I fell in love, um, my first love. And so that focus on education kind of went out the door as well, because I did not do well my freshman year of school. I was more focused on being with him. And spend the time with him, not going to class and not study. 
Love. So even though I had this freedom, I really wasn't making the best choices with the freedom. So then, of course, I did not uphold to my uh, declaration that I was going to wait until I got married because I was in love. And so in those ways, my faith started slipping away a little bit as far as the rules and the regulations of what I felt being a Christian meant and what I felt I was supposed to do as a Christian and how I felt I was supposed to live my life as a Christian. I slipped away from that a little bit. We do struggle with trying to live life, but yet as a Christian. And I think there is an internal fight, an internal struggle that goes on when you're not living your Christian values, Mm -hmm. but yet, you know, you should, and you're, is there anything you can add to that? The struggle of that? I know I experienced that. Yes, definitely. Yeah. It's, it, it is a struggle because you know what you believe, Mm -hmm. you know, what you feel in your heart, you know, that you love the Lord, Mm -hmm. but then the way that you're operating in the world and the way that you're living does not match that. But then you feel the pressure of, well, you know, I don't want to be this stuffy Christian. I don't want to my friends to feel like I can't participate in the things that they're participating in. I want to have fun, too. Why can't I have fun? But we, you, you don't realize that you can have fun as a Christian. You just have to have your fun in a little different way than the world has fun. Right. But when you're young and you're in college and you're around the parties and the this and the that, you feel like. You have to do that to fit in and you want to fit in and you want to belong, even though you have these convictions and you feel like, well, maybe that's not the best thing for me to do. Maybe I shouldn't go to this party or maybe I shouldn't go to the club, but that's what everybody else is doing. And that's the cool thing to do. And so I'm supposed to do it too. It's definitely a struggle. It's definitely a struggle. I I feel for the young people nowadays, because as you said before, they have social media And they have all these other pressures that we didn't have to fit in. And when you profess Christ in in the world, you're standing out. Even more so now with anything is up for grabs. Your identity is up for grabs. However you want to define that, it's fine. You can add another letter to the end of the series of letters where we are identifying ourselves. And I think that causes a lot of free fall if you will. And there's nothing solid to set your feet on to have this, like I said, home base to do life with, especially when it's shaking and falling apart in areas or there's trauma that comes into it. And it always costs us something. And maybe just me, maybe I should speak for myself, but I'd like to think I'm not that abnormal in that it costs us something when we don't live like we know we should be living. What did it cost you? What did you experience that your decisions led you into? Well, I would say what it cost me was, I guess, a delay in my blessings, a delay in really knowing who I am, a delay in walking in who God wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. And I can say I did experience trauma when I was in college after my um, freshman year, you know, when I really wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. You know, I had this boyfriend and I was acting him up. My parents was like, you're going to leave this school. And so I went to another school, which is actually where I wanted to go to to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so I was there. And I think it was really within like my first few weeks of school. My roommate um, had some friends and we were all just, you know, we were connecting. I wasn't with my roommate at the time. I just, you know, connected with her friends. Mm-hmm. And it was like, come on, you know, let's go hang out. And so I'm thinking, oh, we're going to go hang out and then we're going to come back to campus right. where we ended mm-hmm. up at this house. 
And and they were like, well, we're just going to stay here for the night. And then, you know, we'll take you back to campus. I'm like, well, why are we staying here? I didn't know where I was. I didn't really know the area that well to get myself back to campus. So I said, that's okay. And so I was with a young man. And first we were hanging out. You know, it seemed innocent enough. Wasn't anything, you know, going on. And then he kissed me and I had a boyfriend at the time. So I really wasn't supposed to be, you know, that close. But I allowed him to kiss me. But then it got to the point where he wanted more and I did not. Right. And I said no, and he did not listen. Then immediately after it happened, I knew something wasn't right. But my image of what rape was or or that kind of thing was someone grabs you in the bushes and it's a stranger. It's not someone that you have any kind of familiarity with. And even though I really didn't know him, you know, he was an acquaintance, which is why they call it acquaintance rape. All right. After that happened, I, I was devastated. I crawled up under a table. And I was crying. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came and was like, well, you know, what's wrong? And I said, well, you didn't listen to me. And then he says, well, what you trying to say? You trying to say I raped you? And it was the ugliness of that word. Mm-hmm. Like I said, nowadays, women don't have that. Women are empowered to understand that no means no. And that we don't have to accept that. But at that time in the early 90s and everything that was in my mind, I didn't want to accept that that's what happened. And the way he said it, like, you know, you're accusing me of this. And I didn't want to say that. So I said no. And I went on and actually ended up in a relationship with him, a very dysfunctional relationship for months. And it got to the point where. Something in my mind, even though I had the low self-esteem, even though I didn't feel that I was totally worthy of love because of the things that I went through and just my mindset at the time, I just still knew that this was not right. The way he was treating me was not right. And so I made the decision to go to a counselor at this college. And I talked to her about what happened. And she said, yes, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And, And I said, okay. And then she wanted me to go to group. And again, this mindset of, no, you know, the other ladies there have experienced more than me. What I experienced was not as bad. What I experienced was not as um, devastating as maybe what they've experienced. So I refused to go to group. And I just decided, well, I'm just going to keep pressing on. Um, I did break up with him. But then that led me to continue to make bad decisions when it came to relationships. I started to feel that, well, that's the only way I can get attention from a guy is through my body or is through sex. Um, and so that's how I went about trying to find relationships. But I say it as, you know, the old saying, looking for love in all the wrong places. I really was looking for love, but I was going about it the wrong way because of my experience. I don't know whether the lens we create causes us to continue in that cycle or we just miss what we should have seen because it's not for us, but yet we engage in it and agree with it. I have yet to kind of figure that out because sometimes there've been situations where I overlay my childhood experience onto other relationships. Right. And then there's times when I missed something that was clearly not for me that I grabbed up for myself and then ended up with the, um, 
consequences of that. So I don't know what your thoughts I, are on that. I, yeah, I think it's a combination of the two. So I think you're on the right tracking with that. I think mm-hmm. in some instances, it is where we have our perception of ourselves and we have our perceptions of what we're worthy of. Mm-hmm. And so we accept less than what we're worthy of. And because we accept less than what we're worthy of, we miss the signs of showing us why this is not what we're worthy of. Because we're already in the mindset of, well, you know, I'm just accepting the bare minimum. Mm. I'm accepting the bare minimum of what this person is going to offer me. And so when they continue to show themselves, as Maya Angelou says, if someone shows you who they are, believe them. They're Mm. showing us the signs, but we're missing the signs because we want to see something different. Mm. We want to see, well, this is the person for me. Or we want to see, well, you know, this is the best I'm going to get. So I have to deal with this relationship as it is, no matter how bad it is. And no matter how bad the person is treating us, we accept Mm -hmm. it because that's what we think we are worth. One of the other things I heard you say, too, is you kind of graded your experience as not worthy of healing as compared to something that someone. Why did you reject or not receive the counseling, the group counseling? I really was still grappling with the reality of what my experience was and that it was in the same category of what I thought my perception of rape was. I guess I didn't want to go to the group and feel like, okay, I have to tell my story. I'm going to tell my story. And then the lady next to me is going to have this harrowing story. Of You know, I just had this vision, like she's going to have this harrowing story of how she was alone in the street and somebody grabbed her and that's not what happened to me. So how can I be in the same room? And I just felt like, how can I put myself in the same room and in the same category with someone that experienced something what I considered more traumatic? I would imagine it would be confusion Mm -hmm. in reference to continuing a relationship with him, but yet saying I was raped. The word rape and a relationship didn't really... They don't really go together. That definitely was part of it as well. That definitely was the embarrassing part. Like, how could I allow myself to continue to be in a relationship with this person when this person damaged me in this way? But I accepted it. So it did seem like, well, was I really raped because I was in a relationship with him? I accepted him as my partner. How can I go and backtrack and say that he did this? That was part of our conversation. When I did confront him and I did talk to him on the phone, he laughed at me and was like, what are you talking about? He's like, we're, we were dating. And I said, but no, the very first time that we were together, this is what happened. Because as part of what the therapist told me to do, I did have to confront him. So I did do that over the phone. But yes, there was definitely embarrassment in that. And how could I allow myself to go through that? And then, of course, that takes the number on your self-esteem even more because you already have low self-esteem. You already don't feel like you're worthy. And now you feel like you're just stupid on top of it. I get what you're saying as far as we kind of continue in a downfall or maybe there was that free fall of bad decisions or accepting what we're less than what God has for us. And, and we continue in that. But God lets us continue in that until we look to him and say, what's going on here? Um, this is not working for me. Was there ever a point that you went to the Lord or were you having some dialogue with the Lord trying to f- struggle through it and figure out what was going on at the time? Or did you just come to a place where you're like, God, where are you? Yeah, I, I eventually came to a place where I was hired. 
I was tired of making bad decisions. I was tired of being in these relationships that, and, and being treated less than my worth. And I reached that point when I really started, you know, seeking God. And I was like, okay, God, I have not had you in the midst of these relationships. I realized that it was on me. I was not seeking the Lord. I was not consulting him on who I need to talk to. I wasn't praying about anything. I was just pushing on through. When I reached that point, that breaking point, and I heard a message on, um, I can't remember where I heard it, but it was a minister. And she was talking about soul ties. When she started talking about soul ties and how sex is not just a physical act, but a spiritual act. And how you're connected with everybody that you've been with. She said, pray and just call out to the Lord and ask him to release you from all of those people, whoever they were, that you were with, that you shouldn't have been in covenant with. And so I did that. I never heard of soul ties until I went to what's called cleansing stream. And it's for believers to heal them in certain areas of their life. And that was part of these six part program. And when they said that soul ties, I'm like, what in the world is a soul tie? How have I been in church X number of years? And I have never heard the word soul tie. But can you elaborate a little bit on that more when you're saying it's a, it's not just a sexual act. It's a covenant. Right. Because the Lord intended sex to be between a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage. And marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a commitment, not only to each other, but to the Lord. And so when you engage in acts that are meant for that type of relationship, meant for that covenant, meant for that com- commitment, but you commit those acts outside of that, you're, crea- you're creating that same bond that's intended mm-hmm. for a husband and a wife, even though you're not husband and wife. And that can cause confusion in your spirit uh, because you're going around making these bonds and making these commitments and these covenants with people that you're not actually in covenant with. You're taking in everything that they have going on. Because when a husband and a wife come together, the word tells us they are one flesh. So I am my my husband and I, we are together. We are now one. And so when you're committing these acts with people, you're becoming one with these people. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what they got going on. You don't know what kind of struggles they got going on, what kind of strongholds, what kind of um, demons they're battling and then you're connecting yourself and you're connecting your ba- your demons and your stuff to their stuff and then if you're sleeping with multiple people then you're connecting with that person then you go and you you connect with harry over here you connect with bob over here you connect with billy over here and no wonder you're you're just crazy all over the place in your spirit and you may feel like i'm just being empowered and i'm owning my sexuality and all these things the world tells us that it's okay for us to do these things as women because we own our bodies and we can do what we want to do with our bodies. But no, our bodies are the temple of the Lord. And when you're connecting with these people, you are marring the temple. That's what you have to realize when you're thinking about soul ties and that it's not just you owning your body and it's not just you being physical with someone and it's not just you satisfying your physical needs. But it's a spiritual act as well, because that's what God intended it. God does take a covenant very seriously. It is for life. Mm 
And Mm -hmm. so to engage in those acts and then have those soul ties, it does weigh the soul down. It definitely muddies the water of the soul and that purpose holds us back in so many ways that we're not even aware of. As a matter of fact, when I was doing cleansing stream, you go through all six of those parts, the whole process was wonderful, but not even realizing that that there was a piece that needed to happen there. But that came in at that point when I did that little exercise on breaking soul ties. Did you experience anything, a release, a lifting of a heaviness, anything like that? Yeah. After, after I prayed and I, you know, and I asked the Lord to release me, I did. I felt lighter. Mm. I I, I felt, um, I guess, empowered Mm. as, as in now, okay, I can walk in the wholeness of the Lord. And I can be holy and I can be set apart and I don't have to be connected to, you know, these mistakes or, or these people that I've connected with previously. And in the midst of that prayer, I even told the Lord, I said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the man you have for me. I was willing to wait five, 10 years. Thankfully, I did not. I met my husband within a few months after that. But I was willing to wait because and sometimes people just have to get to that rock bottom Um Time. You know, we as humans, we just going to go along and we just going to do and we're going to make decisions until we hit rock bottom. And then we realize that things are not in our strength, but in the Lord. And I think at that point, when I heard that sermon, when I prayed that prayer, I had hit my rock bottom because I had just gotten tired of doing it my way and trying to find love my way. I desired to be married. I desired to have a family. I desired to do all of those things. And I felt the Lord had those things for me but I just wasn't going about it right. If you don't address pain and trauma, it will wait for you. It Mm -hmm. will um, have an impact on the way you think, the way you conduct yourself. And at the point of surrender, then you can start the point of healing. You want to call it out, whatever it is that you have not taken responsibility for, address it. For me, I repent and break ties with it. And that for me is healing and God heals us in layers. So -hmm. to think that I'm completely done with any sort of healing or coming into an understanding of my full identity with God, I think that's a little foolish because God is always revealing something new about himself and therefore you can dig in deeper. What are some of the things that you discovered about your identity through the lens of God's heart for you? What were some of the revelations? Some of the revelations that I came to is that God loves me just the way I am. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, as the scripture tells us. I wanted to break that down because we, we, we love to say things, and I'm a word girl. So I said, well, I'm going to look up what does wonderfully, what does fearfully mean? And wonderfully means to be made in a way that you delight in. So that means when God created me, he created me in a way that he delights in. So he delights in me. When he looks at me, he says, oh, that's Sherry. Look at her. And then fearfully means to be reverent. So can you imagine God reverenced you? He reverenced his creation of you. He took his time and he molded you perfectly the way that he wanted you to be. So when I realized those things about myself and I realized that I'm created perfectly, that God loves me just the way I am. Am I perfect? No, I am not. I have flaws. I still, you know, probably think stuff I shouldn't think. I still, you know, we all do stuff that we're not supposed to do. But to understand God's love and to understand his love is truly unconditional. It's not like man. Man judges us by the things we do. They judge us by our past. They judge us by 
how we act. They judge us by the things we say, how we dress, how we look, all of these things. But when you think that God loves you beyond all of that, I mean, it's just amazing. It's just amazing revelation. And so once I really understood that, then I was able to start to really love myself mm-hmm. and break down those walls of that low self-esteem and realizing that even the flaws, the things that I see in myself that are flaws are not really flaws at all. Mm-hmm. They're just how God made me. What makes them flaws is my perception of them. Mm-hmm. And where did I get my perception from? What somebody said, what somebody did, what the world tells me is supposed I'm supposed to be or I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at the things about ourselves and we think, okay, for example, I don't, I don't like my nose. My nose is too big. Okay, well, who told you your nose is too big? When you were little, when you were two or three years old and you were looking in the mirror, you was just fascinated to look in the mirror and see your nose and, and see your eyes and see your lips. And then somebody came and said, look at you with your big nose. And now you think your nose is too big. But God made your nose. He made it exactly how he wanted to make it. And when you think about it, the function of your nose, your nose is there to help you breathe. Mm-hmm. So that's the most important thing about it. So that's one of the main revelations, I think, that really helped me to understand the power of my words. I, I talk about speaking life and the power of our words and the things that we say to ourselves. It's not just about what we say to other people, but it's what we say to ourselves on a constant basis. That's what gives us the power to push through life and to love ourselves and to really understand who we are. And when we understand who we are, then we can make an impact on the world. We can share our testimony with other people. But we first have to understand who we are and we have to love ourselves. And we have to speak to ourselves in love. Do you rewrite those lies with scripture? How do you confront when Satan comes at you trying to say, oh, remember that time, remember this time, or tries to pressure you with something that was in your past? I think about the lesson that I learned from that thing in my past. So if, you know, Satan comes and says, you were in that relationship and you shouldn't have been in that relationship. Well, but what did I learn in that relationship? I learned what I didn't want so that when I met my husband, I knew what I was worthy of. When I, you know, say I made that mistake, I did something that wasn't right. Like I ran that red light. I don't know who I was telling my husband or somebody. Uh, When I was younger, I actually ran a red light and my license was suspended and I let the cop run my license. And he got, oh, he was so mad at me. So he put me in jail. He locked me up. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm a jailbird. I was in jail for one night. (laughs) (laughs) but you know but that was something I did crazy in my youth so if the Satan would have bring that back up and say well you know you a jailbird you went to jail well what did I learn from that though I learned not to lie I learned to own my truth Mm -hmm. I learned to own the mistakes that I make so that's my Mm -hmm. way of kind of contradicting when this when Satan comes up and he will come up and Mm -hmm. he will remind you of those things and then yes of course scripture as well I remind myself of who God says I is am he says I'm the head and not the tail I'm above and not beneath he says I'm a royal priesthood no matter what I've done in my past 
because I am a child of God, I am all of those things. I'm all of those great things. It sounds like you're grounded in the word because you do rewrite these lies of Satan. You're coming back with the truth of who you are through the word of God. Do you have any particular scripture that you stand on any sort of life verse or um, one verse that you return to over and over again, over another? Well, um, my main verse or my favorite verse, I would say, is actually a simple verse. Psalms 23 and 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when you really think about how powerful that scripture is, even though people may say, oh, that's just stereotypical. Why you pick that scripture? But that scripture really has power in it because yeah. it's saying that God is my shepherd. And when you think of what a shepherd does, a shepherd leads the sheep. The sheep are lost without the shepherd. The mm-hmm. sheep have no idea where to go. They don't know what to do without mm-hmm. their shepherd. They have to follow him. That reminds me that if I follow the Lord, and I follow his lead, and I follow how he guides me, then I'm going to have everything that I need. I'm going to be taken well care of because he loves me. And the other scripture that I like to stand on, Proverbs 18, 21, the power and life and death is in their tongue. And uh, my motto is the power of life and death is in your tongue. Choose life. We must make a choice to choose life. So it's not just recognizing that power and life is in our tongue, which it is, Everything we say, we have a choice. It's going to either cause death or it's going to be speaking life. So there's both of those powers in that tongue. But our choice is to choose the life part. Our choice is to speak positivity against the negativity. Someone comes at you with something negative. Someone comes at you with something that's a lie. You have to combat it with the truth. Those are my two verses that I love. You're right. It always comes down to a choice. What? Did somebody say one time, it's hard to do this, but it's also hard to do that. I think some of the examples were, it's hard to lose weight, but it's hard to be unhealthy. Choose your heart. Exactly. So you're coming down to making a choice with which dialogue will you let dwell in your internal thinking? Which one will you feed? Which one will you acknowledge and use in order to function in life? choice 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 really it's all about choice it's all of everything we do is about choice you have a choice every day to wake up in expectation to wake up expecting god to do something great expecting that you're going to do something great to glorify him or you have the choice to wake up and dread the day oh i don't want to get up today oh i don't want to go to work today oh i don't want to do this or oh i got to deal with those crazy people we're in more control than we think we are, but yet we're not. <laughs> I mean, we're uh, yeah. not in control of anything. <laughs> control is an absolute illusion, but we do get to choose our mindset. We do get to choose our internal dialogue. We do get to take things like that to the Lord and go into great discussion over why am I having trouble? What is this problem of, and I think that's growing in intimacy, even to the point where you were talking about our flaws, whether they're physical flaws or even emotional flaws, things like that. But there's still a point of connection with God. We can go to God and have him redefine those things for us. And then we now look at our our definition through his eyes, through his heart, mm-hmm. through his value exactly. system and not the world. So then we can show up in places of life in overflow. Mm-hmm. And not be not needing anything from anybody because God's already filled us in these areas. So even our brokenness, our lack, if we take those things to God, Mm -hmm. we're growing in relationship. What are some of the things that you 
do maybe spiritual disciplines or practices or in order to continually grow in the knowledge of who God is? One thing I do is like affirmations. I remind myself of who I am in God, that I am wonderfully and fearfully made, that I am a royal priesthood, that I am um, beautiful, that I am strong, I am intelligent, all of these different things. And it's something that's constantly, you know, in my mind. I may not always verbalize the affirmation. I may not always, you know, look in the mirror and say, which I do tell people to do that. That's one thing I do recommend. You can look in the mirror and talk to yourself. Tell yourself how wonderful you are. If you can take five things and tell yourself every day, about how wonderful you are, those things will become embedded in your mind. But for me, it's so embedded in my mind that when I feel tired or I feel worn out or I feel like I'm doing all this work, it seems like it's in vain. I remind myself that it's it's not in vain. I can't get weary and well-doing. I have to keep doing what God has called me to do. If I impact one person, then I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Is having that lifestyle of speaking life. That's the main thing that keeps me going. That's the main thing that keeps me focused on what God has for me. Then, of course, reading the scripture. I'm like everybody. I think I don't read as much as I should, <laughs> you know, um, but taking that time to re- read God's word and remind yourself of, of his word and what his word says. And then surrounding myself with people that see more in me than I see in myself. I have an inner circle of friends and whenever I do have those moments when I feel a little down, I have those moments where I'm not sure. I know I can always go to them and they'll remind me of who I am and they'll remind me of what they see in me. Well, like they say, if you're the smartest person in the room, you might need to go to another room. Right. So you want to uh, surround yourself with people that are really going to be there for you that are going to pray for you, that aren't going to just say I'm praying for you, but they actually are going to pray for you, that are going to give you godly advice. Right. Um, my friends always tell me that I'm the one that gives the godly advice. Like with Sherry, she just going to tell you straight up. She don't care what you say. She don't care if she hurt your feelings. And I'm like, well, I don't try to, <laughs> I don't try to like hurt your feelings on purpose, but I'm going to tell you what the right thing to do, even if it's not what you want to do. Those are the main things, having that lifestyle of speaking life and reminding yourself of who you are in God on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. reading the word, and then surrounding yourself with those um, people that can really pour into you and support you. To keep you growing in your relationship with Christ and, and continually understanding each new revelation that he gives us as either he peels a layer away in order to heal something or he heals an area and grows in that way. So that's huge. That continual intimate relationship with God. Cause I think there's even a difference between having faith in God and a loving relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I it think is. we can walk in faith and I've done it for many years. And as a matter of fact, I, even now, I think I'm really more so bridging over into an intimate love relationship with God. Has that been your experience? Has there been a growth pattern that you were able to recognize? I don't know that I would have recognized it until recently after my husband passed away. Definitely. As I've grown over the years, my relationship with Christ has grown. As you said, like when you're younger and maybe you first get saved, or even if you, like me, I went through a backslidden state that I had to come back to the Lord. We've all done all of that. So as you have those back and forth relationships with God, but again, he's still there with his arms wide open, like, come on, 
daughter, come on, son, let's get it together. Right. They're mm-hmm. waiting for you to get it together. You have a understanding of God, but until you really develop that intimate relationship with him, you don't really know him. Mm-hmm. But I can say that I've definitely grown to the point where I do have that intimate relationship with God. I talk to him all the time. I say my favorite place to meditate and to commune with the Lord is going to sound funny, but it's in the shower. <laughs> Why? Why not? It's just me in there. <laughs> There's nobody there to distract, distract me. All in your glory. You're not hiding All nothing. in my glory. Nothing to hide. Nothing to, you know, it's just me and the Lord. Right. And he talks to me and downloads ideas and mm. it confirms things with me all the time. And uh, when I'm in the shower. Right. Or when I'm just, you know, alone with him and just taking that time to have that conversation with him. And as you were saying earlier, like when you did your prayer and you said, daddy. Yeah, I mean, he's our daddy. Some <laughs> people feel like we well, can't be that common with God. So you got to, you know, be formal. Mm-hmm. There's times to be formal with him. Mm-hmm. And then there's times to just be you and just say, look, look, daddy, because he, he already knows you. He knows how to reach you. He knows what to say to you. He knows what to show you. Sometimes we go to the Lord and we're like, Lord, I want confirmation. I need confirmation that this is really you. I need confirmation that you're telling me this, that you're telling me that. And he knows what to send, what signs that you're going to receive as confirmation. And so when you have that type of relationship with the Lord, you can talk to him about anything. I mean, he already knows. True, because he already knows even why you're talking to him. So he knows the intent behind your heart, even though you think you're having this conversation, but he is going to address the intent of the heart, not necessarily the question. I have been away in Florida for a week and I was spending a few of those days with the Lord. And I came to talk to him about some certain things and I was making a date with him. And then he brought up two things. I'm like, wait, I uh, no, that's not on my agenda here. Lord. <laughs> yeah, like we, we're not supposed to be talking about right. that right now. I have a list here. But then he's like, no, baby, you're not going to hear from me on those until we address these two. So I engaged him on those two. And he brought healing. He brought restoration, just like he does in his beautiful way. Backing up a little bit earlier when you said look in the mirror and speak those um, scriptures over yourself that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, things like that. Did you find it hard? Or maybe do you hear people say, it's hard for me to look myself in the eye in the mirror and say those things? Because I think that might be a telltale sign of where we are Mm -hmm. in our belief system is whether we have truly embraced what God has said in his word about us, and whether we're holding off a little bit on what is your experience there? You hearing yeah. anything? It's definitely hard to look yourself in the, in the mirror. Um, because a lot of times when we look in the mirror, we're just looking in the mirror and passing as we're washing our face, brushing our teeth, we just, you know, keep it moving. We don't really take that time to study ourselves. We don't take that time to really look at ourselves and pour into ourselves. And so that can be very hard especially if you don't have that self-esteem about yourself, especially if you think you're ugly or when you look at yourself, you see your flaws. And to be able to look at yourself and speak positivity over yourself can be a difficult process. So if you can't say five things, just muster up the strength to say one. And then as you keep doing it and you say that one thing to yourself every day, then eventually you'll be able to say two. Eventually you'll be able to say three. And eventually you'll be able to stand in the mirror and look at yourself longer. And eventually when you look at yourself, you'll see yourself more through the eyes of God than seeing yourself 
through your eyes and seeing your flaws, you'll come to a realization where you'll know, you know, that you are beautiful. That somebody can start with in order to look themselves in the eye, in the mirror, and speak a truth into their being, if you will, into their heart about who they are. What's a good scripture for them to start with? I think the scripture that we talked about that I am wonderfully and fearfully made by my father because there's so much power behind that scripture Mm -hmm. and, and so much to unpack with what that really means. There's a scripture about I'm the head and not the tail. Then there's also the scripture about you are royal priesthood set apart, Mm -hmm. that your body is the temple of the Lord. All of those are good scriptures, I think, that someone can use. And even if you just want to start with one, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and then dig into that with the Lord. Look at yourself in the mirror, say that, and then go spend time with the Lord. What do you mean by that, Lord? What does fearfully and wonderfully made mean to you with regard to who I am? You went in and pressed in looking at the definitions and found some beautiful things there. So even looking at the literal definition and then asking God to reveal to you, what does he mean by that? What does he see? Um, in you when he says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So definitely press into the Lord and request of him to show himself, to give you that download, to give you a revelation of what he's talking about. And he makes it intimate, like for you personally. Mm -hmm. So you could ask him the same thing. I could ask him the same thing, but we get a different connection with him, the way he says it about us. So I love that idea of growing stronger, more intimate, loving relationship with God. When we look at the difference between Orthodox Christianity, the word is God breathed, his son, the Trinity, or at least they exist in the Trinity, individual persons for the same purpose. And then you look at the progressive church, which really takes the lens off of scripture, takes the lens off of God and puts it more on themselves. How can we stay focused on God instead of now making it all about us, even though we're trying to find out who we are in God? One way we can do that is always bring it back to God. So like, even if someone gives you a compliment, you did such a great job with that prayer, or you are so anointed, or I love your singing voice. They're complimenting you. They're complimenting your gifts. But at the same time, when you're receiving that, you should still say, well, praise God. I thank God for these gifts. I thank God for giving me this knowledge to be able to do these things. So whenever we're thinking about ourselves, Mm-hmm. And we're thinking about the wonderful things about us. And we are wonderful. We have gifts. We have talents. We can do all of these great things. We have to remind ourselves of where it came from. It didn't come from our strength, even though we think it did. We are going to acknowledge the greatness that's within us. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with other people acknowledging the greatness within us. But we have to always remember to bring it back to the source. And if we remember to always bring it back to the source, that's going to keep us rooted in God and keep our focus off of ourselves. That's important because if we're given a gift of speaking, public speaking, that is a tremendous gift. If we're given wealth, that is a tremendous gift. And I could go on and list other things, but there's a purpose for which they are given to us. It is not for our own glorification. It's not for our own use, if you will, but it's for the use to edify the body, to glorify God. And so I think if we keep that in mind too, because as I was listening to you talk, I'm like, yeah. And if we keep the fact that it's all God's in mind and that there's a purpose with which he gives it to us for, Exactly. And that could, that could keep us grounded in who God is. Like you said, that purpose is not for us. It's not for us to be puffed up. It's for somebody else. And that's God's heart too. 
is that it is not about you and me. It's about him and about meeting us in pain, in suffering, and then redeeming it. If there's somebody listening today, what is something that you would encourage them with? Maybe they've got a low self-esteem. What are some things that they can do that could turn them to the heart of God? I would say the first thing you need to do is make the choice that you want better. Because sometimes we, not saying that we like having low self-esteem, but sometimes it's so ingrained in us and it's become so much of who we are. And sometimes we get attention for it that we can become accustomed to living our life in that way. First thing we have to do is decide that we want better for ourselves. Know that we can have better for ourselves. So once you make that choice, okay, I want to do better for myself. I can do better. Then the next thing you need to do is really, um, as we mentioned, seek the Lord as to who you are through his eyes. Mm -hmm. Who, what's the plan and the purpose that he has for your life? What are your gifts and talents? Maybe write down a pros and a cons list of all of the great things that you noticed about yourself, all of the wonderful things, the gifts and the talents that you have, and then some of the things that you don't like about yourself. And then when you look at those lists, the things that you do love about yourself, focus on those things and focus on how you can make those things better. And then the things that you don't like about yourself, are any of them things that can be changed? Are any of them things that you perceive as a flaw, but it's not really a flaw. It's just how God made you. And if there's anything on that list that you can change, that you want to change, then seek God on how to change it. And so once you look at that pros and that cons list and you kind of go through those things, Mm -hmm. then um, that gives you a better understanding of who you are. As we mentioned before, the affirmations, reminding yourself on a constant basis of all of the great things that you bring to the table, all of the wonderful things about you and who you are outside of your titles. Cause we like to do that too. Well, I'm a mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm a coworker, I'm a friend, I'm a this, I'm a that. Okay. But who are you outside of that? Who are you outside of those titles? Who are you outside of being, you know, we're Devin's mom. Who am I outside of being Devin's mom? I'm somebody. I'm Sherry. So Mm -hmm. focusing on yourself outside of your titles, focusing on who you are in God, focusing on those pros and those cons, the good things that you can do, the bad things that you want to change. I think those are some of some key first steps to really realizing who you are and breaking out of that self-esteem. It all begins with the choice to deciding that you want better for yourself. How would you describe low self-esteem? What are people experiencing that would give them the indication that they have a low self-esteem? If you have negative thoughts about yourself consistently, and if someone gives you a compliment and you always deflect a compliment and say, you know, someone says, oh, Sherry, that was a great speech. And you say, ah, yeah, you know, but I could have did better. Or, oh, yeah, but, you know, that wasn't my best. If you can't receive compliments for what they are and say thank you and and really accept what some good that someone is saying for you, 
then that might be a sign that you have low self-esteem. Another sign that you have low self-esteem is that you find it hard to look people in the eye. I know when I had low self-esteem, I could not look someone in the eye. It, it just, I didn't feel, I guess, worthy of that connection to be able to look at that person. Mm-hmm. I walk with my head down. So if you walk with your head down a lot, if you don't have good posture, mm-hmm. posture is key. And um, we don't think about posture, but posture is very important because your posture shows the world what you think about yourself. And it shows them how to treat you. Because if you got yourself slunched down and you got your head down all the time, then they already know, oh, they, she doesn't think anything about herself. I can get over on her. Mm. But if you walk with confidence and you come in a room with confidence and you have your shoulders back, then people, that's going to demand respect. People are going to automatically respect you. They're going to think you're confident, even if you're not. If you find it hard to do those things, if you find it hard to look someone in the eye, if you're constantly looking down, if you don't know how to accept compliments, you're always deflecting to something negative. And that you're constantly looking at the negative side of things and thinking negatively about yourself, mm-hmm. then you definitely have some issues with your self-esteem that need to be addressed. And now with masks, okay. you have to look everyone in the eyes. So that would be a well, definite yeah. telltale sign right away if you're not looking somebody in the eyes in order to talk to them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I didn't even think about posture, but you're right. That would definitely give somebody a message about who you are before you even open your mouth. And I do believe we communicate with people before we ever open our mouths, whether it's the way we dress or the way we carry ourselves and posture uh, falls into that. I think it all comes down to identity really is discovering who your identity is because it dictates everything kind of piggyback more so backtracking to where we were talking at earlier. You decide who you're worthy to date, who you're worthy to marry, whether your no has any value, um, whether you have a voice. So mm-hmm. I think when anytime, not only you're strengthening your self-esteem, but strengthening your identity. And maybe that's really two in one. How, do you see a difference between a low self-esteem and identity? I think they're married, as you say. Yeah, they, they kind of go together because if you have low self-esteem, then you really don't know your identity. You don't really know who you are in Christ. You don't know who you are in God, how he made you. You don't really have that understanding. And then if you don't have that understanding of your identity, then most likely you have low self-esteem because if you understand how great you are and you understand who you are and whose you are, you would have no choice but to have great self-esteem because you're a child of the king. Is there anything that I have not asked you about that you want to share? Everything that we talked about today falls under the lines of the main thing that my platform is about, and that's speaking life. Mm-hmm. And a more important thing that I want your listeners to understand is that you must make speaking life a lifestyle. It can't be something that you just do every now and then. In order to truly have the self-esteem that we're talking about, to truly understand your identity and to know who you are, you have to constantly surround yourself with positivity. You have to constantly speak life to yourself. You have to constantly remind yourself of who you are and whose you are. And if you're able to do those things, then you can really truly walk in who you are. You can love yourself. You can impact the world. And you can birth all of that greatness that's inside of you. We have wonderful gifts and talents and all the stuff that God wants us to do. We have purpose but we don't understand how to get it out because we don't feel that we're worthy to get it out. What I would like to 
invite your listeners to do. I do have a book, Speak Life Moments, A Transformational Journey. It is a 21-day devotional. And in that devotional, I share 21 moments in my life. Like today we talked a little bit. We talked about the adoption. We talked about the rape. There's a whole bunch of stuff (laughs) that I've been through in my life. And we talk about those moments and how those moments taught me the importance of speaking life. How each one of those moments taught me about the power of my words. And so in the devotional, you get scripture. We always start with the word. You get a testimonial. Then you get an affirmation as we talked about affirmations, that you can look at yourself and you can say those affirmations. You get prayer to solidify what we talked about. And then you also get reflection questions. And those reflection questions are where you can really do that deep work Mm -hmm. and really think about who you are and how you can make speaking life a lifestyle in that particular area of your life. And so um, that book is available on Amazon. So I would invite your listeners to check that out. Um, Speak Life Moments by Sherry Jones. Our main message today is that God is there for you. He's there to heal you in the midst of whatever pain you are going through in your life. And he has so much greatness in store for you. One thing to wrap up with. If you can think back and remember a critical moment when it was very dark for you in the sense that you maybe felt trapped or hopeless or however you would define a dark moment in your life and in your spirit or your soul. Can you recall any one particular thing, something beautiful that God spoke in the dark? I would say one moment in my life was after I had experienced a domestic violence situation. And I had to uproot and leave the town that I was in and start over in a new place. That was a very dark time for me. I missed my friends. I missed what I saw as normal at that time. And I was longing for that connection. But in the midst of that, God showed me and he told me that he has something new for me and to embrace the new. Mm -hmm. As I would say to our listeners, if you are in a dark place in your life and you feel that all hope is gone there is hope in Jesus and he has something new for you all you have to do is just open your eyes and see what he's trying to tell you have that connection with him have that relationship with him and allow him to show you that new thing something new God is always doing something new he's always ready to do something new in us we just need to perceive and to dig in, and to lean in, and agree with him. Agree just to discover it with him. I don't think you have to agree on anything in particular. You don't have the details, just agree. Yeah, just agree. Yeah, Yeah. because he doesn't show you the details all the time right off. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he might just show you a glimpse of it, or he might not even show you anything. He may just tell you, just trust me. I appreciate your time and your insight. I appreciate you sharing. And we're going to have all of the, we will provide all of the contact info so that listeners will be able to connect with you and find you on the various social medias, emails, websites, things like that. But in the meantime, check out Sherry Jones book, 21 day devotional on Amazon. All right, young lady, you take care. 
Thank you. You too. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.